0: We didn't realize that all the gas stations closed at like 9 o'clock. When we were driving on the ice, it like caved in and we went down. He said, I'm going to get you back for this. They both got out and were flying around.
1: It's time for the Appleseed, an hour that uses the power of great stories to help you make sense of the world and communicate with the people who are important to you on the Appleseed Great Stories can change your world. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and we're excited to bring you some great stories today. And as you get ready to think with us about the stories we're going to hear today, think of those times in your life when you left the comfort and familiarity of one situation for the uncertainty and excitement of another. If you've lived a while, chances are you've got a few memories of times like those. Think, for example, of leaving the comfort of your preschool childhood to go to school for the first time, or of getting your first job, or of leaving home to go to college, or forsaking the place you grew up to put down roots in another place of your choosing. We sometimes use the term leaving the nest to describe those big moments of transition. You've heard that term, haven't you? Leaving the nest. And it's a cool way to think about it. A baby bird, warm and safe where it was born and fed and happy in the first days of its life. Leaping from that comfort and warmth right into the actual sky, never even having spread its wings before and finding in that place of great uncertainty and potential danger, the sky finding that it can fly. We've got an hour filled with leaving the nest stories for you today. I'll tell you a story myself about feelings on both sides of the leaving the nest equation. Like a lot of people, I left the nest as a kid and watched my own kids do their own nest leaving. Full of feelings, those experiences are for sure. And we'll hear a story from the terrific Alabama storyteller Dolores Hydock about growing up and leaving home and coming back with a new way of looking at things.
2: The song swirls out of the stereo as I sing along and stuff the last few items into the small black suitcase that will accompany me for the next 12
1: months. That's just a tiny piece of the Dolores Hydock story, My Own Backyard, a story we can't wait to bring you, and we're gonna do it in just a moment. And we'll also take a trip back in time for an old time radio adventure with the Andersons, the family at the center of each episode of Father Knows Best, which aired on the radio from 1949 to 1954. In what we'll bring you, poor Jim Anderson will work through some of the drama that comes with seeing his own kids spreading their own wings getting more independent.
3: You children grow up too fast as it is without
1: pushing it. Betty's leaving, the family's breaking up. I know, right? But don't worry, everything will probably work out. It usually did at the Anderson home. And finally, we'll hear an old, old tale that we know you'll know, all about leaving home and facing the challenges on your own that you never had to face before you left the nest. It's gonna be a great hour. And how about we begin by introducing you to Dolores Heidock. For decades, Dolores has been telling stories all over the country, from her home base in Alabama. She's an actress and playwright whose work deals with everything from medieval love stories to personal tales of hearth and home. We had her in the Appleseed studio to share stories with our terrific studio audience. And I asked her to tell us just a little bit about getting a story ready to perform on stage. And her answer has me thinking about the journey taken by every story what the story can tell an audience but what it can tell a storyteller too here's what Dolores said
2: well I'm oh a new story how many of you are writers storytellers and yeah a lot of you you know a new story is like the best Christmas present ever right the Christmas fairy just moved into your house and left a whole lot of presents for you and so it's like oh boy I can't wait and then and then you gotta you got to tell it a few times, you know. You sit with it, but you never. The story isn't is still not anywhere near done until you've told it several times, because you make the story. You have the final cut on the story, and it's only once you start telling it that you find where things are in the story. That often you didn't know were even there. I mean, there's it's true of of several of my stories where there's been an audience reaction. It's like wait a minute, I didn't put that in there, but they did. And, and it makes me see the story in a whole new way. So sometimes the sitting with the story involves you, involves being with a group of people who help you see the story in a way maybe you didn't ever see it. And then sometimes, sometimes a story, you get tired of a story. Those of you who are storytellers know this, you get, you get kind of tired, it, or it becomes stale to you and you stop telling it for a while and then maybe one day it comes back into your life and you rediscover that story and maybe there's something about it now that changes because you've changed um but but sometimes it's like getting reacquainted with an old friend from high school and you say gosh I like that person why did I never like them in history class you know I like <laughs> them now um so that's that's kind of fun too to get to rediscover a story
1: Dolores Haddock recorded live in the Appleseed Studio, hearing Dolores talk about stories and how they grow and change as you spend time with them, about how later on you might come back to a story that may have changed for you because you've changed. And that made me think of the old hymns and passages of scripture and great books that I read and advice from my parents and stories that I heard, those things that taught me and shaped me when I was a kid the meaning of those things in my life behaves a little like the stories that Dolores is talking about. Like Dolores' stories, their significance to me changes as I change. Like Dolores' stories, when I go back to them after being away for a while, I find them richer and deeper than I remember. Just when I think I might have outgrown them or left them behind, they come back to me with new gifts. Just a few thoughts, as I listened to Dolores talk about preparing stories for the stage. And that may be a good way to introduce the story that Dolores is going to tell you. It's a story from another time, filled with songs by the doors. Songs like, Come on, Baby, Light My Fire. A time when parents scratched their heads as college graduates strapped on their backpacks and went hitchhiking across Europe, armed with dog-eared copies of Arthur Frommer's book, Europe on $5 a Day. In fact, you'll hear Dolores mention that book. My folks had a copy of that book on their bookshelf. And, of course, it's a story of what happens when you leave the nest, filled with dreams of what the world will be like, and then return seeing things a little differently. Dolores is waiting in the Appleseed Performance Studio. Let's join her. (laughs)
2: It was a Saturday in early March a few years ago, one of those Saturdays in early March that we frequently have in Birmingham, Alabama, where I live. Maybe you have them here too, where the sun has finally come out after a long, bleak, miserable, gray February, and you cannot bear to be indoors one more minute. I had work to do emails to answer, files to organize, but my laptop was going to let me take all of that outside. And so I gathered up my computer and glasses and pens and papers and headed out to work on the small black wrought iron table there on my back porch. First, though, I had to put everything down on the table and just walk through the yard, just feel that sun on my face and neck and shoulders, everything so gorgeous, The pear trees, the plum trees, profusely in bloom. Big, fat, pink magnolia blossoms. Oh my goodness, look at that blue ice cypress. It must have grown three feet over the winter. I remember how tiny it was when it first went in the ground years ago. A housewarming gift from my friend Linda, who knew when I moved into that house, I needed trees more than I needed a toaster. (laughs) In fact... As I look around the yard, I realize how many things there are gifts from people. There's the coral azalea from my friend Marie, the purple angel face rose from my friend Carl, all the Japanese maples that my friend David grafted and grew and gave to me, helped me plant, dug big holes, brought in sacks of topsoil and mulch. There's the curved concrete bench my mother gave me. I can picture her sitting on that bench when she would come to visit me, sitting there smiling up at that bird that she swore sang a song sounded just like it was calling my dad's name. Peter, 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 (laughs) Peter. I hear hammering next door. It's my neighbor, Jason. He's building a fence around his backyard. A fence made of long wooden planks rounded on top. They look like giant popsicle sticks. When he started the project a few weeks earlier, I said to him, are you walling things in or walling things out? Oh, he said, just trying to keep the kids and dogs from running off. He's got one more side to finish. The side that divides his yard from mine. Adam is helping him. Adam lives further down the street. Adam, Jason, they do a lot of things together. They have a lot in common. They're both in their 30s. They're both dads. Adam has two children. Jason has three. In fact, they're not just both dads. They're both dads of newborns. Baby Allison is three months old. Little baby Ren just showed up two weeks ago. I wander over their way. I say, hey, how are you guys doing? Are those little ones letting you get any sleep? Oh, not so much, Jason says. I've been up since four this morning. Four, Adam says. you lucky, dog. Wren started crying at 2 a.m. I never was able to go back to sleep. I say, so between the two of you, you don't have nine solid hours of sleep and you're out here with chainsaws and power tools? (laughs) Jason holds up a bright green soft drink can. We're fueled by Mountain Dew and sunshine. Lauren, Jason's wife, comes out the back door of their house, cradling three-month-old baby Allison in her arms. Their two little boys, aged four and six, carve swirly figure eights in and around her legs before they run up to the chicken coop at the back of the yard so they can go visit the two chickens that they've named Monkey and Juice. <laughs> Tiny white cloth diapers flutter on a clothesline that stands next to a rainwater collection tank that feeds into a raised vegetable bed where you can still see the green tops of carrots and kale from last winter's vegetable garden. Lauren makes her own yogurt. (laughs) April, Adam's wife, mother of their two children, does not make her own yogurt. April relies on Huggies and Happy Meals and kind of hopes for the best. (laughs) April is trudging up the hill on the other side of my house, trying to keep up with their two-year-old daughter, Lark. That's her name, Lark. Lark is running up the hill, scaring the cat. She bends down to sniff a tulip that has no smell. Then she plops down right in the middle of the street so she can examine an excellent rock she found there. April has two-week-old baby Wren with her. Wren, that's his name. She has him in a snuggly so she can hold him close. I haven't seen the newborn yet, so she brings him over for me to admire. His little face is so fierce and red, those eyes squinted shut. He looks like a miniature Mr. Magoo. (laughs) And as I look at that little determined face, I think... This child might see the 22nd century. He'll be in his 80s when the calendar flips over to the year 2100. He'll probably make it. And it's so strange to think that I am looking at the face of a child who will look on a world that I will never see. April takes off running, trying to intercept Lark, who has just turned down the alleyway chasing a bee. I go sit down at the table, flip open the laptop. The cat jumps in my lap, insists on having his head scratched, demands the undivided attention he so richly deserves. Then he hops over to the other chair, circles the green and white striped cushion twice. Then he flops down, curls up, a furry white igloo that rises and falls as he drifts off to sleep. I hear children's voices calling out as they ride their bikes up and down the street, their high voices harmonizing with the notes of Scott Joplin's The Entertainer. Da-da-da-da, da-da, da da, played over and over and over by the ice cream truck that roams through the neighborhood. (laughs) I hear Adam and Jason next door. Hey, this next one needs to be exactly five feet, ten inches. That last one fit. Oh, not so much. Darn, it reminds me of that dumb joke. The guy says, oh, this stupid board. I keep cutting it and cutting it. It's still too short. (laughs) They laugh. The Mountain Dew is kicking in. (laughs) Ordinarily... Lance would be helping them with this fence project. Lance is the 30-something single guy, lives across the street from me. Lance, Adam, Jason, they do a lot together. But today, Lance is busy. Lance is getting ready for a cookout he's having for some friends in his backyard later that afternoon. And so Lance is marinating. Lance is a wonderful cook. His vanity license plate says, chutney. (laughs) And so Lance is cleaning the house and setting up folding tables and chairs in the backyard. And while he works, he is listening to The Door's Greatest Hits. A 30-something guy listening to a rock band from the 60s. He has got it cranked up really loud so he can hear it outside. And I can hear it too. The opening bars of Light My Fire come pouring out through the screen door, through the sunshine, across the street, over to my back porch. And that husky Jim Morrison voice and familiar keyboard riff, Take Me Back. Back across time, back across geography, back to another Saturday morning, a gray, drizzly September Saturday morning. I am in my childhood home in Redding, Pennsylvania. I am 19 years old, and I love the doors. (laughs) I am ready to light somebody's fire. (laughs) I'm ready to have my fire lit, too. (laughs) The song swirls out of the stereo as I sing along and stuff the last few items into the small black suitcase that will accompany me for the next 12 months. It is the September after the summer after my sophomore year of college, and my college roommate, Julie McSweeney, and I are heading off to Europe for a year. We had been students at George Washington University in downtown Washington, D.C., an urban campus, our dormitory four blocks from the White House. And sophomore year, freshman year had been so crazy march on washington student protests against vietnam cambodia student strikes tear gas in the streets it had been so confusing not just politically but academically too in just four semesters julie and i between the two of us had burned through six different majors I started out in political science, moved on to pre-med, ended up in theater and drama. Julie went from mathematics to sociology to modern dance. (laughs) We both had to admit, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. And so we decided we would stop, take a break, travel, see the world, find ourselves, figure it out along the way. Armed with two semesters of French, (laughs) two semesters of German, and two 19-year-old sense of invincibility, we were heading off to Europe for a year following a man, a man who made promises we both believed, a man named Arthur, Arthur Frommer, who told us we could do it on $5 a day. I do not remember the conversation where I told my mother about my plan. (laughs) I don't remember telling her that I was quitting school, that Julie and I were going to fly to Frankfurt, Germany, buy a used VW Beetle, drive around Europe for a year. I don't remember telling her that, but I must have. I do remember that I never had that conversation with my dad. My mother cleared the whole thing with him. He and I never once spoke about where I was going, what I was doing, until that gray, drizzly September Saturday. The final chorus of Light My Fire blazed out of the stereo as I switched it off, shut the lid, picked up my suitcase, took it downstairs. My dad slung the suitcase into the trunk of the gray Chevy Caprice Classic, and off we went, the three of us, my mom, my dad, and me, heading down I-95 to Dulles International Airport, where I would meet up with Julie, and off we would go. We were all three pretty quiet on that three-hour trip. Even my mother was quiet. I mean, my mother always talked on car trips. She'd read out the billboards if she couldn't think of something else to say. <laughs> but even she was quiet. We got about 20 miles outside the airport. My dad caught my eye in the rearview mirror. He said, Schluggo, you're going over there and you think you're gonna find a better way to live? but I think what you're going to find is that everything you really want is in your own backyard. And that's all he said. He looked away, asked my mom to check the exit number. Fifteen minutes later, we were at the terminal. There was Julie. The adventure began. What was he talking about? (laughs) There were worlds to see, people to meet, adventures to be had, life to be lived. I didn't know what he meant that day. I didn't know what he meant that year. I didn't know what he meant for years to come as my life followed its little path, twisted and curved. I don't think I really understood what he meant until that warm, sunny March Saturday, sitting there on my back porch, the sun shining the flowers blooming, the birds chirping, the kids laughing, the neighbors hammering, the grill smoking, the cat purring, the computer humming. I have a sweet house, a safe place to live. I have work I love to do, and people like you who let me do it. I'm surrounded by gifts that remind me there are people in this world who somehow love me. I have good neighbors, who protect their families and feed their friends and believe enough in this tired old world to bring determined little babies into it. I have a cat who helps me keep things in perspective, reminds me daily, I am not the center of the universe. (laughs) Home, work, family, friends, hope that the world's going to be okay. That there are people coming along behind me who will... Somehow, try and figure it out. I finally get it. My dad was right. Everything I really want is in my own backyard.
1: A story called My Own Backyard, a story told for you by Dolores Hydock, recorded live in the Appleseed Performance Studio. After hearing a story like that, my mind is filling up with memories of going out into the world for one reason or another and then coming home to see the place through new eyes. What does the T.S. Eliot piece say? We shall not cease from exploration and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. In just a moment, a little talk back with friends about Dolores' story as well as an old time radio adventure with the Anderson family of Father Knows Best and a lot more, you won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. It was just our pleasure to hear Dolores Hydock recorded live in the Appleseed Performance Studio before our terrific studio audience. The great story that she told was called My Own Backyard, and I'm joined around the desk to talk a little bit about that story. It's time for a little talk back with our producer, Brian Tanner. Brian, it's great to have you with me. Great to be here. And our audio engineer, Carly Robison. Carly, great to have you. Good to be here. And... I am filled with memories of times when I went out into the world for one reason or another and kind of came back with new eyes, you know, and saw the world a little
4: bit differently. Brian, where did that story take you? It made me remember the first real time that I went out away from my family uh, was when I joined an opera company in <laughs> Worcester, Ohio. And it was kind of a summer stock production, you yeah. know, doing like eight or nine musical theaters and uh, opera sure. pieces. And... Um, Dear I, audience, this is something you don't know about our producer. Brian <laughs> Tanner is an <laughs> opera singer. So um, I usually keep that quiet because then yeah. people, the next thing that people say is... Give Sing us a little of opera. <laughs> yeah. um, so I just remember thinking, like, what is it going to be like? I grew up in kind of a, you, you may say a bubble, you know? And sure. I'm like, I'm going to be in housing with a bunch of opera singers from all over the place. And yeah. I remember being nervous about it, but yeah. going out there and just feeling like I'm having an experience. I'm yeah. I'm soaking things up. I'm, I'm seeing new things. I'm meeting new people and just being, it was just a really thrilling experience. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, am I going to be able to hold my self-intact or, you know, will would be changed <laughs> yeah. by these people? And you know yeah. what? I was changed and in, in a good way. And yeah. it wasn't like I'd been led astray or, or changed in a bad way. It was just like, I, I know more about the world and I know more kinds yeah. of people now. Carly, what about you? What did that story do for you? Well, I'm from sunny Las Vegas. And when I was first leaving home, I was going to school up in Idaho. And I remember just a couple weeks after I had started school, I just FaceTimed my mom one day, and she was just in the car driving. And so I didn't really see much, but she got out of the car, and I saw a glimpse of a palm tree. And there are not palm trees in Idaho. And I don't know what happened, but I just started bawling. It wasn't talking to my mom. It wasn't, you know, talking about what was going on. I was having a good time. But the palm tree really just got me. It was my home streets and she was at my home grocery store and i just missed it you know and so that's kind of where i went during the story it made me think of that
1: these stories about leaving the nest again that's kind of what we're talking about today i've got a memory too it's today's entry in the radio family journal
2: the radio family journal with sam payne a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the apple seed
1: I had moved to a new place. It was far from the town where I had lived for a long time, and my kids were excited for the move. They were feeling all the excitement of a new house, a new neighborhood, and a new school. You know how in some parts, elementary school ends after sixth grade, and then you go to junior high when you're a seventh grader, and in other parts, elementary school ends after fifth grade, and then you go to middle school as a sixth grader? Well, you can figure out what happens to a kid who went to elementary school in a place that does it one way, and then moves when he's in sixth grade to a place that does it in the other way. Maybe it's even happened to you, or someone you love. It happened to my son. Until the move, he had been in a single elementary school 6th grade classroom. One teacher, just 25 fellow students, a kind of comfortable elementary school family. And of course, as a 6th grader, he was at the top of a food chain in that school. Kings of the elementary school, the 6th graders were there. And now, here he was walking through the doors of his new school, a middle school, where 6th graders were just stepping onto the lowest rung of the middle school ladder. He'd go to seven different classrooms with hundreds of classmates during the day. I actually don't know how worried he was as I watched him walk up to his new school, but I know that on his behalf, I was terrified. I'm a praying man, and I was praying, Lord, please take care of my boy. This is new, and it's huge. Junior high can be a scary place. And a memory came to me. And in the memory, I'm five years old, and it's the day before kindergarten, and I'm worried sick that my teacher won't like me. I'm really worried. And I go to my dad, and I have the courage to say, what if my teacher doesn't like me? And my dad, because he's a smart aleck, quips, no problem, son, just wink at her. How could my dad know I would take him seriously? Actually, how could my dad not know I'd take him seriously? It was a pretty embarrassing first day of kindergarten. But not even the fallout from winking at my kindergarten teacher on the first day, not really that big a deal, I guess, could keep me from, well, making it through. I made it through. And I kept making it through somehow. And now here I was watching my son about to make it through. He made it through the doors, and I began to think about all the times coming up when I would watch him step again and again out of the comfort and familiarity of one thing and into the uncertainty of another. Watching him go through the doors that day of the middle school, I thought about those things. I imagined them. Well, a lot of those things have come to pass, and the truth is As they're coming to pass, I don't know exactly what to say all the time. Sometimes words of wisdom fail me. But when words of wisdom fail me, I fall back on words of love for and belief in the kids of my own who have flown the nest. I'm not sure I've got everything figured out well enough to trust completely the soundness of my counsel to them, but I do know how much I love them, how much I believe in them. And that love, that belief, can sometimes, I hope, be a strength for them that transcends even good advice.
2: The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny
5: little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed.
1: Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal and also for a little talk back about that wonderful Dolores Hidock story. With me have been Brian Tanner, our producer and our audio engineer, Carly Robison. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank
4: you. It's great to be here.
1: Of course, not everything goes completely smoothly in a home where people are beginning to seek the kind of independence that will eventually lead to their leaving the nest. Sometimes the road is a little bumpy. And to illustrate, how about a little old-time radio adventure? ¶¶ If you were watching television between 1954 and 1960, you might have seen Robert Young as regular guy Jim Anderson, a Midwestern husband and dad at the center of the comic family adventure in each episode of Father Knows Best. But Father Knows Best was a radio show before it was a TV hit, taped before a live audience and filled each week with some domestic quandary or another. The Anderson family lived in a fictional town called Springfield, the name of the town where the Simpsons live, and the name of the real-life town where Abraham Lincoln lived. The Andersons became everyone's family, and at the center of each story was Jim, who got as well as he gave in the learning life lessons department. So settle down. We'll pay a visit to the famous Anderson house for some old-fashioned radio storytelling, and we'll do it by way of an introduction from the narrator.
3: Like most families, the Andersons of 607 Maple Street generally stick pretty closely together. But they have a day every now and then when the family structure threatens to come unglued. This, I'm afraid, is going to be one of those days. It's Saturday afternoon, and Jim Anderson is just coming in the back door. Like this. Margaret, I'm home!
5: Mother, I'll need this skirt, Chris, too, and my organy dress... Oh, yes, and my gray suit Betty, and... I'm working as fast as I can. Don't rush What's me. What's going on here? I'll have to take all my blouses, too, and my hello, father, sweaters, and let's see, what else?
3: <laughs> take your blouses where? What's happening?
5: Oh, father, I have the most wonderful news.
3: Really? What is it?
5: Mother, all my hair curlers are bent or broken.
3: Say, that is startling news.
5: <laughs> so I'll just buy some new ones when I get there.
3: When you get where? What's all this about? Is it a big secret?
5: Oh, no, Father. It's just utterly devastating. That's all. Utterly.
3: I see. Well, it's nice to get the details. (laughs) What's this all about, Margaret?
5: Oh, she's going to take a job.
3: A job? Really?
5: Yes, Father. I'm moving to Cedar Falls. I'm going to stay with Janie Liggett's aunt. Mother, do you think I ought to take my record player? That's up to you.
3: Now, wait a minute here. Did you say moving?
5: Yes, Father. I don't think I'll take the record player. Or maybe I should.
3: You mean you're, you're, you're leaving?
5: Of course. Yes, but... Uh, Don't look at me, dear. It isn't my idea. I've got to start packing. What happened to my green blouse?
3: Well, it's probably in your closet. Margaret, did you hear what she said? Yes, I heard it. Moving to Cedar Falls. Are you going to let her?
5: Well, I didn't say she couldn't. And you always tell me I should go along with these things. Let the children work out their own problems.
3: Yes, but she's not through college yet. She can't just quit in the middle of the term like this. Daddy. I don't think we ought to rush into this thing. Daddy,
5: I'm walking in high heels. Look, Daddy.
3: Oh, Kathy, take those ugly shoes off. Where did you get those?
5: They're some of Mommy. Oh.
3: Well, the shoes are all right, but you children grow up too fast as it is without pushing it. Betty's leaving. The family's breaking up.
5: Jim, dear, ever since the children were born, you've always can I?
0: Oh, hello, Dad. You home?
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm on a live bait boat out
1: in Puget Sound. (laughs) You're listening to The Apple Seed, and an episode of Father Knows Best, the family radio sitcom that aired from 1949 to 1954, before it was finally eclipsed by its television version. Each story revolved around the daily quotidian adventures of the Anderson family, led by Robert Young as regular guy Jim. And what's pulling at the harmony of the Anderson home in this episode? Well, you already know that Betty wants to move away and take a job, and little cat Kathy wants to wear high-heeled shoes, and the one you just met is Bud. Bud wants to go overnight camping with his pals. Seems reasonable, right? Good fun with good friends. But you'll see it gets to fraying the nerves of poor old Jim. But let's let Bud make his case for the camping trip, shall we?
0: Claude's dad said he'd drive us out as far as Red Rock Bridge, and then we'll hike the rest of the way in. Carry our sleeping bags and all that. Sleeping bags? Sure, we don't want to sleep on the bare ground.
3: Uh, Is this an overnight trip? Oh, sure. Can I go? What if you get caught in a snowstorm?
0: Oh, heck, Dad, it's not going to snow.
3: No, but it could. Oh, Dad. You can feel it in the air. Father. Yes, what is it, Princess?
5: I hate to ask you this, and I'll pay it back as soon as I get my first paycheck. But I'll need some money for the bare necessities. Rent and meals and movies and phonograph records and... Well,
3: now, Betty, are you sure you know what you're doing?
5: Why, certainly, Father. Well,
3: what about this outfit you're going to work for? Doesn't sound very reliable to me.
5: Now, dear, we've gone all through
3: that. Well, I'm not convinced.
5: Father, do you know the company I'm going to work for?
3: No, I don't even know the name of it. Nobody knows anything about this company.
5: Well, I do. I know all about it. It's the William T. Ripple Company. Ripple? And they manufacture.
3: Manufacture what?
5: Well, how should I know? (laughs) I'm only going to work in the office. I'm not going to be out in the factory punching a conveyor belt or whatever they do. Well, that
3: settles it. You're not going to do anything until I investigate this outfit and find out just what kind of shenanigans they're mixed up in.
5: Jim, if you don't want Betty to leave, just come right out and say so. Oh, no, it's
3: not that. I don't want to stand in her way. But I certainly feel it's my duty... Dad,
5: can I go
0: if I wear my red flannels?
3: Well, don't bother me about that now. Holy cow.
5: Well, Father... I've already said I'd take the job.
3: But you don't even know what it is. And that...
5: Ralph is going to drive me over to Cedar Falls Well, now, wait. Afternoon. Let me
3: finish what I was going to say.
5: Father, I should think you'd be overjoyed that your daughter is going to start making $95 a week.
3: $95 a week? Oh, that must be a month. They wouldn't pay a beginner that much.
5: It's a week. I'm positive.
3: Dad, Betty, listen. I'm only trying to help you. Dad.
5: Father, I talked to the man myself.
3: Dad. all right what is it bud
0: how about it if i wear two pair of red flannels
1: (laughs) poor jim anderson the kids are growing up and wanting to do stuff I'll tell you, you're getting a glimpse into a -a made-for-radio-joke-a-minute version of that heartache. But if you've ever been a parent, you know that there's a real-life version of that heartache that lighthearted or funny at all. It's exactly what you want as a parent for your kids to grow up and become independent and have work and adventures. But at the same time, it's hard to watch kids take each step toward, well, toward outgrowing you, maybe. Jim's feeling it here, and so are the kids. In fact, feeling the pressure from Dad to not take the job and to not go on the camping trip and not to wear Mom's high heels, well, the Anderson kids have a meeting.
5: We are going to have a meeting. A meeting? The way things have been going around here, the way we're all being treated like infants, has got to stop. We've got to assert ourselves. Huh? We, the United Andersons, are going to revolt. <laughs>
1: A revolt? What does an Anderson kid revolt look like in 1950s Radio Land? Well, Jim is going to find out. After all, he's called into the kitchen by his three kids and made to listen to a few demands. After his antagonism toward Betty's job and Bud's camping trip and Kathy's high heels, the Anderson kids have a few words for their dad, and Mom is invited, too
5: sit right there.
1: Here? Okay.
5: Where do I sit? Anywhere. It doesn't matter. Hi, Mommy. Hello, Kathy. I'll bet you're glad you're not Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's have order in here. Mr. James Anderson. That's me. We, as a committee of three, have drawn a resolution which we are utterly desirous of reading to you.
3: And I'm utterly desirous of hearing say...
5: All right, here it is. We, Betty Anderson, Bud Anderson, and Kathy Anderson, do hereby resolve as follows. Hi, Daddy. Keep quiet, Jughead. <laughs> Whereas we have reached varying ages, as the case may be, we feel that it is utterly high time that we were treated accordingly. Know what that means, Daddy? I
0: don't.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Stay quiet Whereas we feel quite capable of figuring a few things out for ourselves And making a few of our own decisions We hereby intend to take the following courses of action Yeah
3: May I have a drink of water? No
5: Read about me first <laughs> Number one I, Kathy Anderson, do hereby intend to wear whatever type footwear at various times And on various occasions as I so please I got them on right now See, Daddy? Uh-huh mm-hmm. Number two, I, Bud Anderson, do hereby intend not to be prevented or restrained by utterly spurious weather reports about snow and etc. And furthermore, I do not intend to wear two suits of red flannels either inside the sleeping bag or outside. (laughs) Number three, I, Betty Anderson, being of sound mind and practically grown up, Do hereby... I know, I know.
3: Do hereby utterly insist that I'm going to Cedar Falls? For the
5: purpose of making $95 a week Never mind
3: reading the rest of it, Princess.
5: Where are you going, Father?
3: I'm hauling down my flag and retreating to the den. (laughs)
5: Then it's okay to go all traffic? Sure, go ahead.
3: Now, dear, just a minute. I know when I'm outnumbered, Margaret.
5: Then it's all right to take the job, Father? Sure,
3: go to Cedar Falls. Make $95 a week. It's your life. I'm not going to interfere.
5: Can I wear Mommy's shoes?
3: I don't care, kid. Wear stilts if you want to. (laughs)
1: Well, he might have had it coming, but the kid's ultimatum gets Jim right where he lives, and he goes off to sulk for a bit. You know, when Father knows best left the radio for television, you could see a house made to pass for the Anderson House in the opening credits of the show. And that house is kind of a famous house, as it turns out. The house was used again and again in shows like I Dream of Jeannie and Dennis the Menace and Bewitched and The Monkeys and The Partridge Family and more. But for now, It's the Anderson place, and the story isn't over, because as Jim sulks over the kid's ultimatum, the phone rings.
0: Aren't you going to answer the phone, Dad?
1: No, it's probably for Betty anyway.
0: Hello? Yes? Who? Oh, well, just a minute. Betty, it's for you!
5: Who is it, Ralph?
0: No, it's some guy by the name of Masterson
3: or something like that.
5: Oh, that's the man at the placement bureau. It's about my job.
3: Margaret, when do things start working out?
5: There, I didn't say that Hello. they were going to. Yes, this is she. What? Switchboard training? No, I haven't had any of that. Mine's been mostly shorthand and typing and all that. Gee, I don't even know what a leather stamping machine is. Well, uh, Mr. Masterson, couldn't I just take the secretarial part of it and maybe take less pay than the 95 a week? What? A month.
3: Uh-oh. Did you hear that, Margaret?
5: Shh. Well, I guess you'd better tell them I won't take it. Thank you, Mr. Masterson. Goodbye. <sighs> Father, you were right. It was 95 a month. Dad, uh,
0: Joe and Claude are expecting me over at Joe's house, and I, I ought to... Holy cow, look out the window. Holy jumping cow. What's the matter, bud? I never would have believed it. Believe what? Look, it's snowing. (laughs) Uh, You call Joe and tell him the trip's off. Tell him to bring his skis and come on over.
5: I'll be upstairs unpacking, Mother.
3: Well, dear, what do you say now? Well, honey, it's like I've always said. If you just relax, give these things time. They always work out.
1: And that's how it goes on an episode of Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, husband to Margaret, father to Betty, Bud, and little Kathy. Only it's not quite the end, because... Well, because Jim's got to learn something from the adventure. And here he is in the tag, a conversation between Jim and Margaret, the lesson at the end of the show.
3: I think I've learned a good lesson today. I've learned I have some pretty self-reliant grown-up kids. And from now on, maybe your father will be a little less, uh, shall we say, Model T. (laughs)
1: And now we'll say so long to the Andersons of 607 Maple Street. And just like the rest of America did each week after an episode of Father Knows Best, we'll go back to the adventures right within the walls of our own homes. Thanks for joining us for a bit of radio storytelling history on the Appleseed. We've been thinking and talking about stories that have to do with leaving the nest. And though that last trip, along with the Andersons of Father Knows Best, only explored the adventure of one fictional household in which people are only just starting to get the urge to spread their wings a little bit. This next story is about actually leaving home and figuring out how to face danger. And it's a story you know. Okay, it's the story of The Three Little Pigs. This is a story that has stuck around for a long time. It might be one of the first stories a lot of people think of when they hear a little voice say, tell me a story. And over time, the story has undergone some changes. In early versions of the story, it's not three pigs trying to stay ahead of a wolf. It's three pixies, and the bad guy is not a wolf, but a fox. The version I'm going to share with you now is about pigs and about a wolf, and it was put down in writing by Joseph Jacobs in a book called English Fairy Tales in 1890. That was way back before people talked about pigs building houses out of sticks, but instead talked about pigs building houses out of something called furs, which is a plant that today people call gorse. Anyway, in this version, the second pig builds a house out of furs, not sticks. It was probably the version heard by your grandparents and great-grandparents, and it goes like this. There was an old sow with three little pigs, and as she had not enough to keep them, she sent them out to seek their fortune. The first that went off met a man with a bundle of straw and said to him, Please, man, give me that straw to build me a house. Which the man did, and the little pig built a house with it. And presently came along a wolf and knocked at the door and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. To which the pig answered, No, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And the wolf then answered to that, Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. So he huffed and he puffed, and he blew his house in and ate up the little pig. The second little pig met with a man with a bundle of furs and said, Please, man, give me that furs to build a house. Which the man did, and the pig built his house. Then along came the wolf and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. So he huffed, and he puffed, And he puffed and he huffed, and at last he blew the house down and ate up the little pig. Well, the third little pig met a man with a load of bricks and said, Please, man, give me those bricks to build a house with. So the man gave him the bricks, and he built his house with them. So the wolf came, as he did to the other little pigs, and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, no, by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff And I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. Well, he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed and he puffed and and huffed, but he could not get the house down. When he found that he could not, with all his huffing and puffing, blow the house down, he said, Little pig, I know where there's a nice field of turnips. Where? said the little pig. Oh, in Mr. Smith's home field, and if you'll be ready tomorrow morning, I'll call for you, and we'll go together and get some for dinner. "'Very well,' said the little pig. "'I will be ready. What time do you mean to go?' "'Oh, at six o'clock.' "'Well, the little pig got up at five "'and got the turnips before the wolf came, "'which he did, about six, and said, "'Little pig, are you ready?' "'The little pig said, "'Ready? "'I've been and come back again "'and got a nice pot full for dinner.' "'The wolf felt very angry at this, "'but thought that he would be up to the little pig "'somehow or other, so he said, "'Little pig, I know where there's a nice apple tree.' Where? said the pig. Down at the merry garden, replied the wolf, and if you will not deceive me, I'll come for you at five o'clock tomorrow and get some apples. Well, the little pig bustled up the next morning at four o'clock and went off for the apples, hoping to get back before the wolf came. But he had further to go and had to climb the tree so that just as he was coming down from it, He saw the wolf coming, which, as you may suppose, frightened him very much. And when the wolf came up, he said, "'Little pig, what? Are you here before me? Are they nice apples?' "'Yes, very,' said the little pig. "'I will throw you down one.' And he threw it so far that while the wolf was gone to pick it up, the little pig jumped down and ran home." Well, the next day the wolf came again and said to the little pig, Little pig, there is a fair at Shanklin this afternoon. Will you go? Oh, yes, said the pig. I will go. What time shall you be ready? At three, said the wolf. So the little pig went off before the time, as usual, and got to the fair and bought a butter churn, which he was going home with when he saw the wolf coming. Then he could not tell what to do, so he got into the churn to hide, and by so doing, turned it around and it rolled down the hill with the pig in it, which frightened the wolf so much that he ran home without going to the fair. He went to the little pig's house and told him how frightened he had been by a great round thing which came down the hill past him. And the little pig said, Ha ha, I frightened you then. I had been to the fair and bought a butter churn, and when I saw you, I got into it and rolled down the hill. Then the wolf was very angry indeed and declared he would eat up the little pig and that he would get down the chimney after him. When the little pig saw what he was about, he hung on the pot full of water and made up a blazing fire and just as the wolf was coming down, took off the cover and in fell the wolf. So the little pig put on the cover again in an instant, boiled him up and ate him for supper and lived happy ever afterwards. The Three Little Pigs, a story you know about leaving the nest and getting through the dangerous stuff with your wits and a good strong house. A happy ending, unless, of course, you're the wolf, or either of the other two pigs who aren't the third little pig. In fact, I guess the body count in the story of The Three Little Pigs is downright Shakespearean. But You get the point, right? Stories about leaving the comforts of home for the uncertain world have been with us for a long time. That's everyone's story. It's your story. It's my story. And you know what? You're probably going to make it. Baby birds have been spreading their wings and flying instead of falling as long as there have been baby birds a long time. And though the next step for you might be uncertain or even frightening, go ahead. Take it, go on the adventure, and then come home, if you do, and see the place with new eyes. It's been a pleasure for me to share this hour with you. Join us again on the Appleseed, won't you? You can find us at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. You can find us by Googling the Appleseed podcast or by downloading the BYU Radio app for ways to listen to all the great shows produced by BYU Radio. The Appleseed is pleased and proud to be part of that family of programs. If you find us on the podcast, rate us and review us. It helps people find the show. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the apple seed.